we'll be continuing our series this week on using the law lawfully. You can be turning in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Just going to look at two portions of the law today. Deuteronomy chapter 18. We'll be continuing the series on using the law and how the Old Testament law applies to us as New Testament Gentile believers. Just going through and comparing Old Testament to New Testament, seeing where there are differences and where there are similarities. And just trying to figure out exactly how we're supposed to use the law ourselves and use it lawfully as Paul said. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 18, we're going to be looking at uh, paying the Levites for their service. And we looked at this just briefly several weeks ago when we mentioned, uh, when we did a lesson on the tithe. Uh, but we're going to look fully at paying the Levites for their service in the Old Testament today. So Deuteronomy 18, verses 1 through 5. The priest, the Levites, and all the tribe of Levi shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offerings of the Lord made by fire in his inheritance. Therefore shall they have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he hath said unto them. And this shall be the priest due from the people, from them that offer a sacrifice, whether it be ox or sheep, and they shall give it unto the priest the shoulder, and they shall give unto the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the maw, the first fruits also of thy corn, of thy wine, and of thine oil, and the first of the fleece of thy sheep shalt thou give him. For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. Okay, so here we see that the uh, priests were to be given the first fruits and a portion of every animal sacrifice as payment for their service. So as they are uh, serving in the, the temple, as the people bring the sacrifices, they kill the animals, bound to offer the sacrifices on the on the altar, a portion of that meat, and you know, it lays out exactly which portion, the shoulder and the, the cheeks and the maw, a portion of the meat from every single animal was to be cut off and set aside for the priest, and that was to be their meal. And you, know, you can imagine, you've got a, a large nation, lots of sacrifices being brought every day, that's a lot of meat that's being made available to the priest through that. But not just the meats from the sacrifices, also all the first fruits. And if you remember, the Jews were required to bring the first fruits of their field, the first fruits of uh, anything that they that they invest in, the first return from that investment they were supposed to bring to the Lord. And the purpose of them, them bringing that to the Lord was to give it to the priest as payment for the priest's services in the temple. You can see in verse number 5, For the Lord thy God hath chosen him out of all thy tribes to stand to minister in the name of the Lord. So that was their job, and they were to be paid for their job. And we can see this also in Numbers chapter 18, so let's move over there. There's a lot more detail given in Numbers 18. We'll start with verse number 8. Numbers 18, verse number 8. 
And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I also have given thee charge of mine heave offerings, of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel, unto thee have I given them by reason of the anointing, and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. This shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee and for thy sons. In the most holy place shalt thou eat it. Every male shall eat it, it shall be holy unto thee. And this is thine, the heave offering of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel. I have given them unto thee, and to thy sons, and to thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. Everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it. All the best of the oil, all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, the first fruits of them which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. And whatsoever is first ripe in the land which they shall bring unto the Lord shall be thine. Everyone that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. Alright, so here in Numbers 18, 8 through 13, uh, we see that the priests were to receive all of the offerings and first fruits from the children of Israel. So all these offerings that they're bringing to the tabernacle, uh, the, the meat offering that's, that's uh, uh, bread and grains that they're bringing, the wave offering, again, that's uh, things that they're bringing, fruit, food that they're bringing to give to the Lord, uh, all these different offerings that they are bringing to the tabernacle, those go to the priest and they become the possession of the priest. That's their payment for the services that they are rendering to the nation of Israel in the temple. Uh, look at verse number 14. Everything devoted in Israel shall be thine. So anything that someone makes a vow to God and says, God, I am going to give this to you, that becomes the possession of the priest. And so if you look at, uh, as we've mentioned in several other lessons, if you look at Japheth with his uh, uh, foolish vow, supposedly of Vowing to sacrifice to God whatever uh, comes out of the door of his house when he comes home. The first thing that came out was his daughter. Um, according to the law, his daughter should have gone to the priest in order to be uh, in the service of the temple. It, the law wasn't that she was to be killed. The law was that she was to go and be in the service of the priest. Or she could be redeemed. And that's uh, in the next section here, verses uh, 15 through 18. Everything that openeth the matrix and all flesh which they bring unto the Lord, whether it be of men or beast, shall be thine, meaning shall be the priest. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man shalt thou surely redeem. The first firstling of unclean beast shalt thou redeem, and those that are to be redeemed from month old shalt thou redeem, according to thine estimation, for the money of five shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. Okay, so here we have... Uh, the redemption of the firstborn of men uh, that could be applied also to Jephthah's daughter. Uh, but all the firstborn of any creature throughout Israel, they belonged to God and they were to be given to the priest. The clean animals were brought physically to the priest and given to them. The unclean animals, they were given a value and the owner had to come and bring that value in money and give to the priest. And then also the firstborn of men, they were given a value, and that value and money had to be brought and given to the priest. 
Okay, so the priests were to receive all this payment from the nation of Israel. And then let's go down to verse number 21. As we mentioned previously, they were also to receive the tithes. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So 10% of all the income throughout Israel was to be brought to the temple and be given to the priest, and that was also part of their pay for the service that they performed before the Lord on behalf of the children of Israel. So God took great care to provide for the priest. They were very well off and very well cared for. It, it wasn't a job of uh, like the, the Catholic monks where they, they go with it nothing, you know, make, take a vow of poverty and stuff like that. It wasn't that type of a job. They were provided for, all their needs were met, and even above their needs. As God blessed the children of Israel, the children of Israel would give a tithe to the temple, and that took care of the Levites. And as the children of Israel brought their tithe, God would give more blessing to the children of Israel. So now they can bring more for the tithes the next year. And as Israel prospered, so did the, the priests and the Levites. And that's the way God set it up. It was designed for those who served in the temple to be paid by the people who benefited from that service and to be paid well. And it wasn't supposed to be a... Uh, sacrifice uh, of their of their monetary wealth in order to serve in the temple. Okay, so that's the law in the Old Testament. Now let's apply that in the New Testament. It should be very familiar to you, but let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll be in verse 13. So in the New Testament, we see this applied directly to those who preach the gospel, that they should be paid by those who receive the gospel. Chapter 9, verse 13, Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? That's the Old Testament law we were just looking at. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So we have a law in the New Testament that those who preach the gospel are to live of the gospel, meaning they're to be paid for that service that they're doing of preaching the gospel. And so they should have their living uh, through the ministry of the word, through us who receive the word, paying them, and that's how they're to be provided for. Uh, preaching can be done voluntarily, but that's not supposed to be the normal practice of the church. And you can see here in if you go up to verse number 6, uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they were in Corinth, they served voluntarily. They did not accept any type of payment from the church of Corinth for their service. But Paul explains that that was not normal. Uh, verse number 6, Or I only and Barnabas, have not we power to forbear working? Meaning, do we not have the power to not have a secular job and just serve in the church? We have the power, we have the authority to do that. Uh, verse 7, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or saith the law, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth 
of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things? And it's, notice it's not that we should reap of you carnal things, it's that we should reap your carnal things, your things that belong to you. We should reap those as we are sowing spiritual things to you. Uh, verse 12, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. And then it goes on into verse 13 that we just read, 13 and 14. Okay, so, so Paul is explaining here that he and Barnabas had the authority to receive payment from the church instead of working. They could have demanded that the church pay them, even though it's, it's a a church plant that they've started, they could have demanded that the church pay them uh, for their ministry to them in the, in the Lord. They chose not to, but Paul is writing now in, in this letter back to the church at Corinth, he's writing and explaining, hey, that's not normal. The pastor you have now, you should be paying him. Uh, he deserves very good pay from you for the job that he's doing. And so, that can be done voluntarily, but it's not normal uh, for a pastor to uh, sacrifice and suffer in order to serve the, the church. He should receive good payment from the church for his services. All right, let's go also to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 6, we see another command in the New Testament for paying the pastors and spiritual leaders over us. Verse number 6, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. And what's, it's, the language here is not really normal language that we would use nowadays. Basically what he's saying is that if you receive the word, if you receive teaching from the word of God, then you are to communicate to him that teaches. You're to give back to the person that teaches in all good things. So not just give back in praise. You're to give back in all good things, physical things that you're supposed to give of good, good things that you're supposed to give to the person that is providing the teaching and the word of God. So again, there's a command that those who receive the teaching from, uh, for example, our pastor, uh, we are, as those that receive that teaching, we're supposed to give back to the pastor and we're to give back good things to him. So again, we're supposed to pay uh, those that are the, the leaders of the church and we're supposed to pay them well. We're not supposed to give them mediocre things or bad things. We're to give them good things. They, they should not have to suffer in order to serve us and, and teach us the word of God. Yes. Yes, that is great. <laughs> donuts are good things. I enjoy getting donuts, <laughs> and I am very am very appreciative of when y'all bring donuts that you let me have the extras. Yes. All right, which leads uh, directly to our next thing, First Timothy five seventeen. Those who do a good job of teaching should be paid extra, not just sufficient they should be paid above and beyond if they do a good job in teaching us the word. 
Okay, so 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. And this is talking about the elders of the church. So this is the, the pastors, uh, the deacons, the, the people on staff at the church. <clears throat> Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Okay, so those who do a good job... They're to be counted worthy of double honor. So they get even more uh, pay for the work that they do than just someone who just does a mediocre job. But that also implies that the teacher who doesn't do a good job, who, who doesn't rule well, he still should be counted worthy of honor and should still be paid, even if he doesn't do a good job. He just doesn't get that extra double portion. But the ones that do a good job, you pay them more. Because generally, the teachers that do a good job are the ones that put the most work into it. And you pay a person based on the, the amount of work that it gives you. So if they're doing a good job, that means they've done extra work, they should receive extra pay. And it's, it just makes sense from a business level, but a lot of times we don't apply that uh, to people who serve in the church. And we think, oh, that should all be sacrificial, it should all be voluntary. That's just not the way God set it up. Service in the church is to be paid by the people who receive that service. That's the way God designed uh, his service and his worship. By the way, an interesting thing about this passage in uh, 1 Timothy that uh, has nothing at all to do with uh, paying the pastor, but when he quotes from scripture here, he says, for the scripture saith, and then that second quote there, the laborer is worthy of his reward, that's not from the Old Testament. That's from the book of Luke, Luke chapter uh, 10 and verse number 7, where Jesus is saying, the laborer is worthy of his hire. And by quoting Luke 10, 7 here, Paul is saying that the gospel of Luke is scripture. And it's one of the reasons that we know for fact that the gospel of Luke is scripture, because Paul says it here. We know that Paul's epistles are scripture because Peter, in 1 Peter, says that Paul's writings are scripture. Uh, and so we... One of the confirmations we have of various portions of the Bible is that other portions of the Bible reference back to them as Scripture. Uh, this also, by the way, would verify that Deuteronomy is Scripture because the first quote, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, that comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Anyway, that has nothing to do with paying the preacher, but it's a, an interesting thing in this passage. So we see from... From both the New Testament and the Old Testament, the Old Testament command to pay the uh, priests and Levites because of their ministry in the temple has direct application in the New Testament and is even repeated in the New Testament in regards to us paying the pastors and the leaders of our church, or of all the churches, that they should all be paid uh, by the people in those churches. And it, they don't, the pastors can choose to reject that payment and serve voluntarily. But we should have the desire to pay those that serve us in the church. And that's both for the Old Testament Jews and then also for Gentiles and the New Testament. All right, let's move on to the next one. And this one's very interesting and somewhat controversial. Let's look at keeping the Sabbath. You can turn to Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8. 
So looking at keeping the Sabbath, our next law here, Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 8. Very familiar passage. Exodus 20, of course, is the uh, Ten Commandments. Verse number 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy, thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And let's turn also to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse number 3. But we can see here, as we're turning to Leviticus 23, we can see that God commanded that the Jews not do any work on the Sabbath day. It says the seventh day of the week, the first day which is Sunday, seventh day is Saturday. So on Saturday the Jews were forbidden from doing any kind of work. We see that also in Leviticus 23, verse number 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Okay, so this is the Old Testament command. The Jews were forbidden from doing any kind of work on the Sabbath. Now there's a reason that is given if you go back to Exodus chapter 20. The reason given is in verse number 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. And the reason given is that the Sabbath is sanctified because that's the day that God rested. And so God sanctified and hallowed that seventh day at that time. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. <clears throat> Genesis 2 and verse 2, we can see the account of the seventh day. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. <clears throat> and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So here we see in the creation week, God worked for six days, did things on those six days, and on the seventh day he stopped from creation, it was all finished, and on the seventh day he rested, and so he made the seventh day a special day, a hallow day, that's designed for rest. Okay, let's look... Uh, also, back to Exodus chapter 23, there is another purpose given for the Sabbath day. It's not just because God hallowed it and God sanctified it, but the reason that God sanctified the seventh day was because that was a day of rest. And if we go to Exodus chapter 23, verse number 12, we can see that that is the reason that God established this for the Jews. Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger 
may be refreshed. Okay, so God wanted them to have six days of work, followed by one day of rest and refreshment, so that they'll be ready for the next six days of work, rather than just constantly laboring. They're to have six days of work, one day of refreshment. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5 and verse number 14. And we see this stated again. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thine ox, nor thine ass, nor any of thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates, that thy manservant and thy maidservant may rest as well as thou. And so the, the goal was to have a day of rest and refreshment so that you're ready to go into the next week worth of work. Now, one other thing that we see about the Sabbath that many people overlook uh, can be found in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13. There's a lot of discussion among Christians about whether or not Christians should keep the Sabbath, whether the Sabbath has been changed to Sunday, and so therefore we rest on Sunday and do no work then. And it just goes back and forth, you know, people saying there's there's no need for us keeping the Sabbath at all. So that there's a big debate among Christians. One of the passages that I very seldom see anyone reference is here in Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths ye shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that ye may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. Ye shall keep the Sabbath therefore, for it is holy unto you. <clears throat> Everyone that defileth it shall surely be put to death, for whosoever doeth any work therein, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days may work be done, but in the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whosoever doeth any work in the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And here God explains very clearly the Sabbath is a sign between him and the children of Israel. He doesn't say it's a sign between me and all men. It's a sign between me and the children of Israel. And repeatedly throughout the, the Old Testament, God mentions that the Sabbath was a sign between him and Israel sign of, of the covenant that he had with Israel. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15. We looked at 14 just a minute ago, talking about no work being done on the Sabbath so that they can rest and be refreshed. But in verse 15 we have, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. 
So why did God command them to keep the Sabbath day? Because he brought them out of out of Egypt where they were uh, servants. And so as part of his covenant with them as he brought them out of Egypt is you're to remember the Sabbath day and do no work then and rest. And then also in Ezekiel chapter 20, so moving out of the law and going uh, all the way into the prophets. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse number 12. Ezekiel 20 and verse 12. Moreover also I gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between me and them, that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. And so here again, God is explaining to Ezekiel why he gave the law regarding the Sabbath to the children of Israel. And he said he gave it to be a sign between him and the nation of Israel that they would know that he the Lord, or that he is the Lord that sanctified them. Okay, so when we look at the Old Testament command for the Sabbath, we see no works to be done. It's to be a day of rest because that's the day that God rested day of refreshment, and we see that it's to be a sign between God and Israel. Now let's go into the New Testament, and let's see what the New Testament says about the Sabbath. We'll start with Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13. Colossians 2 and verse 13. Now the book of Colossians was written to the believers in Colossae. These were Gentile believers. And so if there is going to be a requirement for them to keep the Sabbath, just like in the Old Testament, you would expect that uh, some of Paul's letters are written to Gentile churches to mention keeping the Sabbath. Right, but what do we find in Colossians 2, verse 13? You see, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now this shows us that he's talking to Gentile believers. They're uncircumcised. Yet they're believers because they've been quickened together with him, having for, forgiven our trespasses. And then let's go now to verse number 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so to the Gentile believers, he says specifically, let no man judge you in keeping the Sabbath days. So those are just a shadow, he says. The body is Christ. And another place, uh, Jesus said that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So we are part of the body of Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. We're not to be judged about by whether or not we keep the Sabbath as Gentiles. Okay, so let's look also now at Mark chapter 2 and verse 23. Mark 2, verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began, as they went, to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful. 
Now this is a little bit of a stretch to say that just grabbing some corn as you're walking through the field and, and eating it is work that's done on the Sabbath day. But that's what the uh, Pharisees' tradition taught, is that you couldn't even uh, grab a, some corn or couldn't even grab a piece of fruit as you're passing the tree and just grab some fruit and start eating it. That was, according to them, that was a violation of the law regarding no work on the Sabbath day. That's a bit of a stretch, we would say, but let's see how, how Christ responded to them. I jump down to verse number 27. And he said, said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And so he tells them, tells them hey, you've got this all wrong. The reason God created the Sabbath day was to be beneficial to man. It was to give man a benefit. God didn't create man to rest on the Sabbath day. He created the rest on the Sabbath day for men and to be beneficial to men. And so we can see a principle. Even though in Colossians 2 we see that the Gentiles are not required to observe the Sabbath, we see a principle that the Sabbath was given to us as a gift from God, as something that was beneficial to us. And a day of rest each week, each seven-day period, have six days of work and one day of rest, has proven to be very beneficial. There have been attempts all throughout history to use different lengths of weeks with various number of days uh, of work and then a certain number of days of rest. But through all these experiments, there's been dozens of, of cultures that have set aside different days of the week or different lengths of weeks. Uh, for example, during the French Revolution, uh, the French decided we should have a 10-day week, and they would have nine days of work followed by one day of rest. And they just thought that would be great. And one of their motives for doing that was to get rid of Sunday worship because they were opposed to the church. And so they wanted to get rid of this idea of going to church every Sunday. So let's have nine days of work, and then you have ten day, or the 10th day is your day of rest. And on the fifth day, they would give everyone a half day of rest. And they tried that. It, they did it for, I think it was 12 years, and it just does not fit the human condition well to do that. The, the Russians have tried various uh, work weeks. Uh, the Spanish have tried various lengths of work weeks. And all throughout history, you have all these different cultures that have tried different lengths of weeks other than the seven-day week with one day of rest, and it never works out well. The most efficient way of scheduling your time of work is to have six days of work followed by a day of rest. And so we follow that generally in America. Most people have six days of work, if not five, sometimes five, uh, if you're lucky enough to get the <laughs> that small of a work week, the 40-hour week. And I, I wish I had 40-hour week again, but most people in America get six days worth of work and then one day of rest, and for most of us that's on Sunday. And so we're still following that pattern, that benefit that God laid out for us of having six days of work and one day of rest, but it's not required of us uh, to keep the Sabbath the way it's required of the Jews. And by the way, it is still required of the Jews to keep the Sabbath now, because God said that was a perpetual covenant between him and Israel, one that's throughout their generations. That means it's still an application today. Uh, they still are required to keep the Sabbath, and they still do, the, the Orthodox Jews do. All right, so that's uh, the laws regarding uh, paying the priests and the Levites and the law regarding keeping the Sabbath.
any comments or questions to? into whether the Muslims have a Sabbath requirement. It would make sense because they they view themselves as descendants of Abraham and Abraham kept the Sabbath and so it would, it would uh, make sense then. But, uh, anything else? Alright, well let's go ahead and pray and be dismissed. Uh, Russell, why don't you pray for us? Heavenly Father, thank you for the Father. Thank you for loving us, Father. And now I ask that you be with the pastor and give me this message, Father. And touch our hearts, Father. For anybody who does not say they pray for service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming.